right, everyone. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Tennessee Wildcast, the weekly podcast show of the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency. I'm Doug Markham, and you are? Jason Harmon. Jason Harmon. Glad to have you here. Good to be here. It's good to be here. It's good to uh, have y'all here. The show is all about the agency, which is all about all of y'all, because the sportsmen of Tennessee pay for us. Yeah. And, of course, a lot of folks that like to watch wildlife, help in many ways, and supporting the wildlife that's out there. And Anyway, the show's about you. And uh, things that are being done that help you go out and enjoy what you do outside, because we want to get you outside. Yes, we do. We want to get you outside. That's what this show's all hey, about. We had uh, we had a guy get outside the other day in the Crossville area. We did. He got outside. Look, this winter, I am hearing, I have not been fishing. You haven't been fishing. I haven't been fishing, no. But everything I'm hearing is the fish are biting because they probably think it's April. You know, it's It is just, a little bit warmer. It's been warm, and, and a lot of people are catching fish, and we had a... A man the other day head over to, um, I forget the name of the lake, but he caught a, a state record yellow perch Yes, for us. And uh, you can go on our Facebook and learn more about it. But it's the one that he's holding, I guess, facing y'all. It's the bigger one, okay? That's two point. His right hand. Uh, yeah, his, right his right hand. hand. <laughs> <laughs> so which one, looks like his left hand from where I'm standing. <laughs> but anyway, it's 2.3 pounds. And in Tennessee, that is a huge yellow perch. And a lot of you are probably thinking, what's a yellow perch? Well, I've caught one or two of them out of Kentucky Lake. They're, they tend to run in our river systems more, although he caught it at a small lake, I think, over in the Crossville area. I took it to the Crossville office, and uh, Mimi over there mm-hmm. was happened to be there, and she was excited, and she documented all this, and she put, wrote a great story that's out on our Facebook page all about this guy and, and the fish that he caught. I, don't, I didn't see any secrets on how he caught them. But they are in our waters, and they're a lot of fun. I tried to chase them in Canada a few years ago, and I caught a few, but about half the size of what he's got right there. Well, that's normally, you know, you normally catch half the size. Half the size, <laughs> but I'll take it if I catch anything. But anyway, it's, it's another state record. Look, we've had a, a state record perch. It is pending. We always have to say that pending word. Yeah, it, it's yeah. pending. Mm-hmm. And then we got a tilapia that's now a state record, and I know tilapia is not everywhere, but it's still a cool fish. Yeah, and they're catching a lot of those in Old Hickory. Old Hickory Lake. It's only one or two places you can catch tilapia, one. And then we had the, the state record brook trout caught about a year ago below mm-hmm. Caney Fork. And then about two years, almost two years ago, February 13th, two years ago, we had the state record largemouth bass caught. So, yep. Uh, and it was caught in February. So see what this cold water, these, these big fish like to bite in the cold. Yep. And they're often full of eggs or starting to get full of eggs. And and uh, so it's a good time to go fishing and, and catch a state record or just catch fish. Anyway, anything else? Just go visit our Facebook pages, Twitter pages, Instagram. We're on Instagram now and, and uh, catch up on what we're doing. There's a lot of information out there. Yep. We, uh, we all went to a, to a um, meeting the other day, a commission meeting, mm-hmm. and uh, the yeah. waterfowl season has been almost set. Just want to remind you that that information's all in our newsroom, in the website, or on Facebook, too. And it looks like your duck hunters are going to have a, a 60-day season next year, pretty much like this year. Right. They'll set it for sure in February, but it, the, the presentation was over in no time, mm-hmm. which usually indicates that there's no problem. And the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has given the state 60 days and a pretty liberal bag limit, and I don't see any reason why our commission won't go ahead and approve that. Yep. So, so. We'll, we'll report on that next month. And, you know, we're yep. reporting every – when we have these meetings, you're putting up stuff out on our site, the um, full commission meeting. TWRA TV, you can go watch it there, or you can watch it on YouTube, our YouTube channel. Same place you can watch this show. And we're tweeting while we're there. So if you're a Twitterer, if you want to go see what we're doing while we're there. Or a Facebooker. Uh, or a Facebooker. We're doing, <laughs> yeah, we did live Facebook the other day. So we're learning here and all this stuff, and we want to keep you informed as soon as as quickly as we can. And you wanted to hit on, on this fish here, too. I did. Thanks. Yeah, before, before we get our we guest, we will. On. 
Yeah. This what is was, that? Is that looks like a dinosaur? Yeah, this is. I do have his name in front of me. This is George Allen, and George caught this fish below the Caney Fork Dam, the, the Center Hill Dam, the Caney Fork River. And this is a sturgeon. He was fishing for trout. He was jigging on the bottom with a spoon, and this thing bit it. They they are they are eating fish. They're not sifters. They like to eat meat. Mm-hmm. And so he caught this fish. I don't know how much it weighed, but it's. I'll tell you right now, it, as large as it looks, it's probably gonna grow. Uh, three times more than that, maybe yeah. four. That's a sturgeon. It's almost about three foot long, looks like. Yeah, I'd love to catch one. That's a sturgeon. Mr. Allen caught it, gave us permission to use that photograph. He did release the fish because that's the law on sturgeon right now. If you catch one, you got to let it go. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're tracking those things a lot. I don't know if that one had a had any kind of tracking device on it, but we've been tracking them, watching them. They're going all over the place. We released a bunch at Shelby Park in Nashville, Tennessee, right downtown. Uh, eight or ten years ago, and um, I'm thinking that that might be one of them that we released. Probably was. When they were a lot lot smaller, about the length of his tail back in those days. So anyway, thank you, Mr. Allen, for sending that. And uh, just if you catch one, throw it back, because they're all in the Tennessee River. They actually started over east stocking them mm-hmm. they before did. they moved them here in Middle Tennessee. They have a big sturgeon fest uh, out there on the east, east part of the state. One day somebody's going to catch one that probably weighs a couple of hundred pounds. And uh, maybe Tucker. It might hey, be about the know. size. It could be by then. All right, let's introduce our guest. I've been looking forward yes. to getting on here. This is Dr. Brad Miller. And Dr. Brad Miller, Dr. Miller is works for us, and he is our elk person. He's the head of our elk program, uh, and you have a cool job. People want to be Dr. Brad Miller. Well, <laughs> thanks. I, I don't know. After all that fish talk, I'm ready to switch to fish. Right now. <laughs> well, with the rest of it, we're going to go with elk because uh, uh, because you you have what a lot of people would prize, whether they're going to hunt on a few of them or whether they just got, get to look at them. And and uh, how did before we get into the elk itself and talk about the you know the characteristics of an elk and where you can see them and all that kind of stuff, let's talk about how you got there. How did you become an elk biologist? Well, um, I'm from East Tennessee, so I, I grew up in, in Knoxville. I uh, grew up hunting where I'm working now, which is kind of uh, interesting and unique. Um, you know, my education, I went to the University of Tennessee, um, you know, did the wildlife and fisheries major and got a master's there and did a lot of, um, you know, habitat work and fire use and things. And then went on and got a Ph.D. working with white-tailed deer primarily, um, doing a lot of habitat work, genetic work. And then... My my first real job, I was a state statewide deer program coordinator in Arkansas. Arkansas, okay. And I also supervised their their elk program coordinator. So I, you know, for several years, I was hand in hand with him, and then served as interim elk coordinator there for a period, and and ultimately moved up to assistant chief and supervised you know deer, bear, elk, waterfowl, turkey, and some others. Um, so I've you know I've kind of been involved in elk for a number of years, and and even my time at UT as a grad student. Um, I worked on the elk program, went out and recovered mortalities, uh, got to fly for them once. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of been a, a long time uh, circle way back around to kind of come home and, and get to uh, spend some time with them and, and, you know, learn more about them and, and get to interact with them just you know, like I did 15 years ago. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of fun. That's so you cool. are back home, and, and anytime you get that doctorate degree, you put a lot of work in before you started working. So you were doing a lot of work before you ever started making money. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, you know, I've, I've been doing the wildlife, you know, field and doing white-tailed deer research and working with elk and turkeys and for a number of years. Um, you know, and it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's a little bit different working as a, a poor 
student eating Raymond noodles <laughs> to, to, to getting, uh, you know, a full-time job. But, uh, it, you know, it's, it's good to, uh, to, to be in this position and be able to work with some great people and, and uh, you know, get back in East Tennessee and, and work with, you know, it's quite an animal. Um, it is. Is it the largest animal in Tennessee? Yeah, I would guess so. I yeah. mean, there's probably some buffalo here and there in a pen. A pen, uh, right. But, yeah, I mean, a, a bull, you know, a good mature bull, it's going to be 800 pounds plus, you know. And, and if somebody wants to know, I mean, they're not elk aren't all over Tennessee. They used to be hundreds of years ago, right? We had them everywhere. Right, yeah. I mean, there's early accounts from a couple of hundred years ago of, of bison and elk on the Cumberland Plateau. And, you know, the whole landscape was different then. It was much more open, more grassy, savanna, you know, open oak woodland kind of situations. Uh, we don't have that anymore. We're more of a closed canopy forest. But it's it's really nice that we've got the opportunity to reintroduce these kinds of species and, and you know, manage them and, and have them available for public use. Where are they? And in, in, uh, if you're looking at a map, where would you find elk in Tennessee? Right. So, it, you know, if somebody was wanting to go see an elk, mm-hmm. um, the North Cumberland Wildlife Management Area is, you know, state property that we have the majority of the elk on that. There's also elk on private land, but we're talking, you know, Claiborne County, Campbell County, Scott County. Uh, it's kind of the the main would you body call it of the, the plateau yeah or we i mean we're east kind of, of the plateau e- we're a little east but okay. but it's still Cumberland plateau yeah um but if somebody wanted to actually go out and see an elk with a really good likelihood of seeing it there is an elk viewing tower just north of la Follette, tennessee and um you know you could google hatfield knob elk viewing tower and, and it's got directions to get there and we'll tell we're going to tell them about that place in a minute but just a little history on i was at the first i was lucky enough to go to the first release of elk oh gosh i can't believe how long it was back in 2000 and it was a snowy day it took hours to get to where we were going it was so cool and uh, we took a lot of photographs and watched them get the release they were brought from canada is that correct right and and released here a uh, long trip through the ice i remember talking to a guy named dan hicks and he was a nervous wreck because he'd driven them back <laughs> in <these> big trucks <laughs> he and others friend and anyway it was pretty cool how, how many elk through the years, beginning in 2000, were, it looks like we released 50. About how many have we released through the years? I think it's 201 or 203. I'd have to look I, at my I, notes. Yep, I can see it on here. 201. Okay, right. there we go. There All we right, go. And, and are we through with that portion of, of that probably? Yeah, you know, probably um, with disease concerns, um, it's, it's more difficult to reintroduce animals and move animals around. Uh, you're not moving a single species, you're moving a whole ecosystem when you're moving an, an individual animal. Um, and really, we've got, you know, a lot of elk, we've got a really good foundation, we're, you know, we're bouncing around maybe 400 elk, um, you know, in that, that Cumberland area. Um, so, I, you know, I don't see a need to bring more in anytime soon. What does what do you do as an elk biologist on, on a day-to-day thing, uh, every day? I don't know if every day is different for you. Or you go out with tracking devices. You sit in your office and do paperwork. What does a biologist, an elk biologist in Tennessee do every day? Right, all of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's pretty varied. You know, I've got your everyday administration stuff where you're dealing with bills and invoices and just general paperwork. But then there's the fun stuff where you're able to get out do elk surveys in the fall where you're, you know, counting elk. You may get out in the night with a thermal imaging unit um, and record Pretty elk. Cool. You know, we've got, um, you know, 18 or so elk with uh, radio transmitters. We're able to go out and kind of follow those around. Um, occasionally we, we fly for elk and, and use, uh, you know, receivers to locate elk on the ground, you know, from a fixed-wing airplane. 
Um, you know, a lot of different stuff. If we have mortalities, I can take those and go submit them for any kind of testing that may be required. I work with um, the hunters that are lucky enough to get drawn in our elk hunt, um, you know, work with helping to set hunt framework. So, you know, it's a, a variety of stuff. Okay, and we'll get to the hunting part in a minute. There is a small hunting season zone. Right. Uh, not mm-hmm. not like the states where where you have, might have thousands of hunters, and we'll explain that in a minute. Because we're, we have an elk population back, but it's never going to be a gigantic elk population. It's solid. It's good. But you're not going to see them from Memphis to Mountain City, right? No. Okay. No. And because of their size and, and what they can do and all that. But how do the how do the local folks, Brad, uh, how do they react to these these elk over there? Well, I guess like anything, it depends on who you ask. Right. Um, you know, you're talking about having elk from Memphis to you know Mountain City. Mm-hmm. We have a, a restoration area that's you know several hundred thousand acres, and you know that's kind of where we want our elk to be we the north cumberland wildlife management area that plus some adjacent so, okay yeah yeah so north cumberland it's about two hundred thousand acres or so um but you know we, we just we have an area set aside where we feel like we can have the elk they're not going to cause any issues with you know agriculture or whatever and you know we've got a lot of folks that love elk and then of course you know we've got folks that are impacted by elk mm-hmm. you know elk may use their fields or whatever um so i mean it's you know, we do our best to try to mitigate you know, where we might need to. Okay, all right. And you said early in the show that, that these are, they're not so much open to grasslands anymore. It's not what we really have. We have these canopy or woodlands. How do they, How have they done to that kind of habitat? How are they How are they getting along with it? Right, it, it depends. If there's There's been diet studies done on, on our elk where, you know, it shows them um, acting somewhat like deer at certain seasons where they're, they're browsers. Um, it's not year-round. Um, in late winter, they're going to be more of a grazer, finding those open wildlife openings. We have, you know, several hundred acres that we plant um, to to maintain that forage base. But um, I guess it's part of it too is creating the habitat year round. Uh, yeah, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, yeah, they're very resourceful. They'll find <clears throat> resources and exploit them just like any animal would. And and you're, <coughs> excuse me, you're the elk biologist over there. Who runs the WMA? Who's the manager of North Cumberland? Right, so that's Joe Elkins. So he's okay. responsible for you know everything on the WMA. Um, you know when there's uh, you know a management plan or there's certain annual objectives, he's the one that's helping craft those and set those. My job is elk management, but I work hand in hand with Joe every day okay. to you know do what we need to do to provide for elk and, and other wildlife of okay course. and did you replace someone did, was there an elk biologist before you there was uh steve bennett was before okay. me and he retired what six eight months ago and that's when you decided to leave arkansas well i, I was i was already here Were you? Okay. Um, i was living in bristol uh working as a, a statewide uh turkey biologist for the national wild turkey federation for tennessee and north carolina okay all right and then the perfect job came open well hopefully it's a perfect job <laughs> not all jobs are perfect they're the good days and the bad days but you came on over what is there a big difference in managing elk in arkansas and tennessee well the herd's a little bigger in arkansas we've got a you know they had gosh 700 800 elk or so um you know we're about half that um they have a lot of federal land that they're they're working with federal partners we don't have that so much okay um but in general it's the same kind of thing yeah elk or elk okay and so this gets in some characteristics and i'll talk to you a little bit about your tracking of them just in general what's the characteristic how big uh, are our elk in general the, the typical size and, and then what's the big elk that we have oh gosh i don't know what the record even is i don't not but you know as far as average size weight wise yeah yeah um 
an adult cow, she's going to be 500 pounds live weight. You know, mm-hmm. a dressed animal would be less. Um, a, a good mature bull, 800 pounds plus. Yeah. Okay, and then they're commonly, they go by their racks when they're the bulls, and they're, what, five by fives and six by sixes and so forth and so on. And you you got an antler shed out in front of you that, that uh, somebody donated to us, but this is actually a shed uh, that, that we were able to get right there. Yeah. And what typical six by six, maybe, I think, or seven by seven. Yeah, he's a seven. Um, yeah, that'd be a good one. Um, we we see a wide variety, of course, when they're young. They have smaller antlers. Um, they're shed. You know, they're a deer. Are they like deer? That yeah, just, yeah. just in the cervid family, right? Sure, and right. they shed just like a deer do. So that would be a nice prize to have right there. That's right. You know, you hear people talk about killing uh, 300, 350-inch bulls out west, and that's really really big but honestly uh we killed a a pretty good bull this fall and i measured him and he was like 240 inches or something and everybody was in in shock you know he was a great bull but honestly um a 250 inch bull is really big yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i can see where somebody'd be pretty proud of that uh two things that go on with them there there's the hunting part of it goes on and the viewing part and there's a there's a there's a place up there called the Hatfield Knob mm-hmm. Elk Viewing Area, Viewing Tower. Tell us a little bit about that, and where is it? Right. So it's it's kind of north of La Follette, uh, like if you're going to Jellicoe. Um, it's, it's basically um, a parking area where you can park your ATV if you're up there riding on the weekend, or if you go up there in a vehicle, you can park. And then it's a, you know, a short walk, a quarter of a mile or a little more, um, to a, a big platform that's an elevated platform, you know, 10 or 12 feet off the ground and you're overlooking a field that's approximately 35 40 acres and we you know we work with uh, a lot of partners to plant that field elk use that field a lot and you know on average people are seeing elk when they go there just about any time of year you were looking at numbers if we came in and we got up to 16 or 17 thousand or whatever uh, a few years ago and no telling how many thousands have come through since it since it opened up but you showed me that most of them are going there look like October and November. Yeah, September, October September, is really October, the pardon peak. Me. Right. <clears throat> and why is that? The boys are going crazy are that they? time of year. Yeah. Um, are they doing that bugling stuff? They're doing that bugling stuff, and, you know, they'll spar and fight and carry on. And, right there in front of the tower? Oh, man. I'm telling you, you can see elk 20 yards away. I mean, it's wow. it's amazing. I bet that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I'd ever get tired of that. Yeah. I mean, I was there, um, even before I started, I was there in, in July, and it was lunchtime. We were eating lunch up there, and you could see elk. You know, elk were coming out at noon in July. I mean, it's it's mm. heavily used. When they have their young, when do they normally have their young? Yeah, late May into the very early part of June. Okay, and usually one or two. Right, so they're different from deer. Deer, on average, a good adult doe is going to have twins. You know, mm-hmm. on average, it's 1.8 fawns per doe, give or take. Okay. Um, elk are different, right? So they're only going to do, you know, one calf per year. Occasionally they'll have two, but it's it's a lot more it's rare. A ra- it's a rarity, huh? Yeah. And do you know mm-hmm. your numbers as far as the, the male-female ratio up there? I, I don't know if you can continue that or not. Yeah, you know, we have goals. Um, you know, we want to have about 40 bulls for every 100 cows or so. So, you know, starting this summer, we're going to start doing some uh, observation surveys to, to really keep track of that. When you, when you speaking of keeping track, when you go out there and do track the, the collared animals, how, how many do you have, first of all, that are collared and why are you tracking them right now? Well, it, it varies. Depends on how many you add and then how many you drop off. Um, and we're using, right now, we're using primarily the old style collars like people would use on their coon dogs or mm-hmm. something. 
but we have some new GPS collars. We have one that's out right now in existence, and it's really neat technology. It's been around for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years or more, um, where you're able to get a signal um, that's sent to a satellite, and eventually um, that is available to me to download on my computer to where I can see where an animal's been in the you know, however long back since the collar's been on. And that's really a new technology. That's kind of the new way we want to go because it's really hard to find animals in this mountainous terrain. If they're on the other side of a mountain, you're not going to hear them with the traditional telemetry. Okay. What about uh, – are y'all still doing the uh, thermal imaging? We are. Yeah, we use that, uh, you know, usually early December, late November, early December when we're doing our annual um, population surveys. Okay. Okay. Trying to see how far they go and are keeping them on the area, or is that all part of it or no? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see, um, you know, what they're using at certain times of the year. Food-wise? Food-wise, yeah. Okay. Habitat types and and then also checking for mortality. So if you have – an animal that hasn't moved for a certain period of time, the collar makes a special signal, and you're able to go in and, and recover the animal. Do we have some elk that die that not that die not necessarily of old age, or there are some that get disease or whatever? Sure, or just weak. Yeah, there are wild animals out there, you know, getting by, and it's tough. Um, you know, you've got a variety of mortality factors from you know parasites to we've had one or two hit by trains. I mean, okay. it's just a, a variety of, of things. Are there any predators? Well. Outside of the man that we'll talk about in a minute, but are yeah, there any predators? Any yeah. are coyotes a threat to them or anything else? I'm not aware of any mortality on adults. Now it's likely that there's some calves that that succumb to, to bobcats or coyotes, but um, you know that's something we're talking about doing in the future is doing a calf mortality study where we're actually catching newborn calves, outfitting them with these expandable collars, and you're able to track them as they grow and, and document mortality and, and survival. And this that might not be a fair question to you, but you came from Arkansas where they had elk, and, and I know in Kentucky they have a lot of elk. Do you talk to our Kentucky counterparts about what's going on up there? Yeah, we actually have a meeting coming up. It's funny you bring that. We have a meeting coming up here in a couple of weeks, and, and we'll be able to interact and talk about some of that. Okay, and their yeah. population, they have a entirely different scenario they have larger population up there because they have a whole lot more land mining properties is that correct right um when they started they introduced a lot of elk so a little different from what we did and i haven't seen any you know population estimates for them lately but it's eight thousand elk maybe Mm -hmm. or more um and, and you're right they have a little bit different topography um you know we have a lot of um you know strip mining or deep mines and they had a lot more surface mining where an entire mountaintop is just removed which leaves a big flat that is revegetated and as a result you're out there and it's just these rolling hills it looks like you're in montana almost like the savannas you're talking about once they start regenerating right, right. Correct. now that won't last forever so it's something that they'll have to uh, either burn or, or mow or herbicide or, or somehow treat uh, to set it back interesting that's neat to know though we got kentucky on the side and we got arkansas on the side are there other states around us that have elk in sure it? you know north carolina of course yeah. in the park and then they're on some private land over there and i think they're even talking about maybe a hunting season at some point in north carolina okay and, the, and the, does the smoky mountain still have elk over there they probably would coming back and forth anyway. yeah yeah they're, they're out there straddling that line okay do yeah. we have any elk that you think come down from kentucky yeah i know we do, <laughs> do you? Yeah, okay. yeah. of course yeah. we might send some up there too but yeah you know there's you know elk have trouble reading signs mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, there's no borders with an elk. yeah yeah um so yeah certainly we've documented um elk that through genetic testing were not our introduced elk mm-hmm. okay yeah. all right 
Neat stuff. So let's talk about the hunting part of it. Uh, a few years ago, we established a hunting season. Once, th- once the biologists felt like the elk were in a good position, they could they could withstand uh, some hunting pressure. Right. Give us a little history of that, and where are we these days? Right. So it started in, I believe, it was fall of '09. That, that sounds right. Yeah, and it was um, a fairly limited quota right so there was half a dozen folks you know usually um, a youth hunt involved and it's a really high success hunt most years Uh, we're looking at you know 65 to 70 percent success for those hunters that are getting getting drawn but it's it's tough to get drawn right there's a lot of uh it is and we're talking until this year anyway we're talking only about five or six tags and one of them goes to a youth right and and then one has to be one sort of uh, as a fundraiser you bid on it and then the rest of them are for anybody that's lucky enough to get drawn so it's really hard to get there and if it do go out and consider yourself a lottery winner that's right in a way yeah um but the drawing comes up it'll be held i guess later in the summer and the hunts when is the hunt itself so you know a little bit of a change we had this fall mm-hmm. um an archery season was Correct. Added. thank you yeah yep so in in early october we had a five-day archery season uh five hunters and then we had a week off and then we started a gun hunt a five-day gun hunt and then uh subsequent we had a uh, two-day youth hunt and it was a little more opportunity we had basically 11 hunters you know hunting this fall um, but again, it's uh, it's it's tough to get drawn, but it's probably better odds than Powerball. Yeah, a little better odds than yeah. Powerball. And if you go, it's even if you don't get an elk, it's got to be one of the most exciting things of a, of an avid hunter's life, anyway. Yeah, I mean, you hear these bow hunt. You know, I've hunted elk out west, but I've never been on a hunt where you're able to bugle up elk like you're you know calling turkeys yeah. and, and having an 800 pound animal come within 30 yards of you. And you hear these archery hunters talking about it, and you know some had called in multiple bulls. I mean, it's it's just. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> is it hard? And, and is it hard to scout for an elk over there? Um, it just seems like four hundred elk sounds like a lot, but you put them on two hundred thousand plus acres. That's a lot of acre per per elk. Absolutely. How difficult is it to, to scout for these things? Well, you know, we tried to work with the hunters before the hunt started to kind of get them pointed in some some good directions. And you're right, elk. Well, they can be in one spot today, and they might be 10 miles away the next day. Are they day. wayfarers? They travel pretty good? It depends on the time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that late summer, they're not – you know, they find the food. So it depends on what's available. Um, a lot of times, they can be pretty consistent. And we we had some hunters reporting seeing the same elk in, in the same areas, and, you know, we we expect that. But other times of the year, they're really um, highly mobile. But, you know, in general, it's like hunting deer. You've got to get out and put the time in, find the sign. You know, elk rubs are pretty hard to miss. Um, you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they will tear up a tree. And they pick those, those smelly trees like a whitetail would. You know, you find a big pine tree, that they leave a lot of scent after they, they rub them. Um, we have, you know, elk wallows out there. You spot those. They're hard to miss. Um, and then certainly finding droppings and, and big trails. Um, you just got to get get out and put the time in. What do they tend to eat most? What is your study showing there? Right, so in Arkansas too. It, yeah, it, it depends on the time of year. Um, they they eat acorns in the fall. You know, mm-hmm. September October they're going to key in on mass like a whitetail, which is, is pretty unique. Uh, a lot of browse that time of year, transitioning into more grasses in you know January February March. Then as you get more spring green up, they're transitioning into more of the you know forbs the weeds, um, and uh, you know that kind of rounds out their their year. Okay, and uh, getting back to the hunting, you think that we'll have a similar season or opportunities uh, coming up in 2017 as we had in 2016? Yeah, I mean, we haven't gone through that season setting process quite yet, but, um, 
you know, I, I try to think really long term and try to be strategic with what we're going to do. And as part of that, we're going to develop a new strategic health plan where we really lay out where we want to be. You know, what what are our population goals? Um, you know, what are we willing to live with? What kind of hunts are are we going to have? What public opportunity are we going to be able to provide? And you know, that's kind of a direction we're going to go in this upcoming year. Uh, and also, getting back to a question pertaining to arkansas arkansas has in the last year found out that they have uh chronic wasting disease right and, and it's it's pretty devastating over there and we're trying to keep it out of tennessee every way we can is an elk uh is it subject to cwd is it something that could hurt them if it came into tennessee right so they're susceptible and it's uh, always fatal you know if an animal gets it it will be fatal um, so that's something we we take uh, a lot of pride in in testing for, um, and we we test almost every animal that that we find dead or is hunter harvested okay. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and we've tested, you know, right at a hundred animals so far um, since we've had elk the, since two thousand. Um, have not found it, of course. Have not found it in whitetails. And you know we want to do our best to keep it out. And I think there's some new um, carcass movement regulations that that will help. Uh, you know, keep our, our deer herd and our elk herd safe. The import, bringing them back after you take right. them out of state or whatever. Okay, right. Make sure you understand that. And it's chronic wasting disease, if I didn't say that, CWD. All right. Uh, Jason, by the way, was over there when the first one was harvested. I think Todd was too. Yeah, we a, showed a, a picture there if you, if you were watching. Was that. Okay. Yeah, Chuck right. Flynn. Great, great deal. All right, the music says we're about out of time, Brad. Anything you want to add before we get out of here? No, it's good to see you all this morning. Let's go crappie fishing. Yeah, you are fired up. <laughs> I, I am. I'm too. telling you. <laughs> You're talking to <laughs> Doug right the, there. The turkeys were strutting yesterday in the field. I'm ready to get out. Yeah, I mean, the, the, everything's going to be talking pretty soon. When the people start talking, it's time to go. The big white bass are running. Yeah. Everybody's breaking records except mm-hmm. for me and Jason and Todd. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we're sitting right here in the studio. Dr. Miller, thanks for being on yeah, here. Yeah, good to be here. Good interview, and we hope to get you back sometime. And and if you want to ever add something or give us announcements, we'll make them, all right? All right. We all appreciate right. it. Hey, watch this show at TWRA TV. Listen at TMWildcast.com. And we're always on our website, TMWildlife.org. So keep coming back. See you next week. <laughs>